It's time to think outside of the box by looking inside the box. The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kentucky Wesleyan College. Any content discussed are of their own and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. The discussion on the topics of race, racial trauma, and discrimination may be sensitive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Does racism still exist in this generation? Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Coleman, and welcome to Looking Inside the Box, two-part series spotlighting women of color and their experiences today. Created and directed by Wish Reed. Wish, what is the core thought behind this uh, podcast series? The core thought is to give women of color today especially in this Gen Z generation where we feel like we are getting out of touch to the point of race relations to what's going on in real people's lives. I think we hear these intense stories of race and that takes us out of the world we live in. But when you hear just everyday stories of everyday encounters, it brings you back to the meaning of what is racism in these people's lives. Why call it looking inside the box? So what's the, the meaning of that very creative title? I feel like women of color are put into a box. Um, A lot of things we can be categorized as, and I think it's important for more people to come out of themselves and look inside that box and be able to see people's lives from above and understand that the world around us isn't just people interacting with people. It's people interacting with people who are dealing with traumas, who are dealing with microaggression. So it's really giving them a upper level look of these people's lives. Now, throughout this podcast, you get an inside perspective uh, from your, your peers. So what major life event stands out to you personally that might have influenced you? The biggest impact on my life, especially to this podcast, is seeing how people interact with my mother and the women of color in my life. So uh, my mother is just this joyous uh, human being, and sometimes I it comes out of me that she is a black woman who deals with things every day and people underestimate her. People have constantly undermined her. Um, There have been events in her life that they've decided that she can't do this because she's a woman of color. They've decided this is what her life looks like because she's a black woman. And to see that stereotype be broken for her, um, that's been something that's been a really big deal in my life, especially because I come from such a strong uh, black women held household. My grandmother Um, unfortunately she passed away, but she was someone who really valued education and that's something that's been passed on to me. So this podcast means so much more than just giving people a voice or seeing something more. It's educating others to have that experience of themselves. Yeah. Wow. Now you just explained uh, a moment ago why you call this podcast looking inside the box. So your peers help us delve deeper, right? Into this subject. Yes, we're going to hear from three different women of color um, in different races because I think it's important to not just highlight African-American women or highlight different races. It's important to see that this is a universal experience amongst all women of color and people of color in general, but especially when we see um, women in different aspects, we can pinpoint how they feel in these areas. Obviously, the topics discussed in this podcast can be uh, sensitive to some, but you feel these topics should no longer be swept under the rug. Exactly. 
these topics are so much more important today than ever before because we are seeing people misconstrued the idea of how we can take on racism. Um, they feel it as, ooh, okay. It's okay. Do you want to re-ask that question too? I never thought about it. <laughs> okay. Now, oh, wait. Now i got to check mine too. That's happened to me multiple uh, yeah. times. Well, it's probably the president. Uh, I mean, Biden asked me all the time, Jim, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> All right, so I'll ask this last one. All right, take, take two. Obviously, the topics discussed in this podcast can, can be sensitive to some, but you feel these topics should no longer be swept under the rug? Yes, I think especially now more than ever, if you are sensitive to the topic of race, this is the podcast to help you come out of yourselves and understand racism in a way that is comprehensible when it's not just being thrown at you like we need to take action this needs to be done or um, the intense feelings people express when discussing race you're going to just hear people who calmly told another human being how they're feeling about these things and hopefully that will engage you as a human being on discussing race and it won't be a, a major conversation with intense feelings it's opening you up to a new experience of life this first set of clips comes from questions derived about our guests' childhood or early life experiences with racism and microaggressions. And to actually start this off, a lot of our conversation was about colorism, but it morphed into so much more than that as the project went on, as well as how as the questions went on, they got deeper and more meaningful. And I think that's something that we have a time capsule to now. Not only do we have a time capsule to their life stories and these experiences, but we also have a capsulation of how people experience talking about their racial differences when it comes to being more comfortable, when it comes to being more open. And I think that's something important that we've placed in this podcast. So I hope you not only learn something from this clip, but you can come back to these clips after experiencing the podcast as a whole and see how confident our guests get into speaking about their racial differences and experiences. Now you're going to hear what it means for our guests to be accepted in society and what that means to them. A lot of these questions weren't meant to carry a general theme or tone, but they ended up that way because again, these are universal experiences amongst women of color. They feel like they have to fit inside the societal structure and mold and finding a way to be accepted in that societal mold is very difficult and this is what they talk about in these next set of clips. So I am mixed. I have a white mom and a black dad and my dad passed away when I was when I was young. So um, for most of my life, I only really lived with my white mom and around my white relatives. I mean, I had my sister's dad who also is black. He kind of took me in as his daughter. And um, so that's how I got to see like my black side of my family's how I would say. Um, but yeah, growing up, I was in a predominantly white area. I was probably the only like a handful of black kids within like a 50 mile radius of where we lived um and so growing up I didn't really think like I knew I would, like my color was different but I didn't think much of it uh growing up but I mean my whole life I've been told like oh you talk you talk like you're white oh you you speak really well oh you speak like you're educated oh you're very articulate and I'm I'm like I don't really understand what that means like <laughs> I grew up around you guys like I I'm going to sound the way that my environment sounds yeah. and my community sounds. And so that's something from 
childhood that I can remember is everybody telling me like oh you speak really well you're very articulate and it took me getting older to realize like that's kind of a backhanded thing (laughs) like you can be articulate and it doesn't have to be have anything to do with your race you know and so I mean I definitely experienced that when I was growing up um one of the things I will forever be mad about is uh like I said Spanish was my first language so for like I think up until like second grade that was pretty much all I spoke. Um, eventually I, I was put in like English language learning classes and all that stuff. Um, and I remember the, the, okay. So the thing with that, they called it ELA at the time. Um, the thing with no ELL, sorry, ELA is language arts. Yeah. LMAO. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly those classes work very well. Um, (laughs) so the problem with ELL was that you would be taken out for about like an hour or so a day from your regular class. And you would have to do like your English language learner program or something like that. And then you'd go back to class. Problem was you'd miss whatever was being taught for that one hour or you'd fall behind on whatever assignment people were doing during that one hour. So now you're an hour behind and you still don't understand what's going on. But, you know, that's the way it was. And I remember by the end of second grade, I was like, you know what? I feel pretty confident in my English. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm fine. Like I understand everything pretty well. I was getting higher reading scores and writing scores and like the other kids. I was like, okay, I feel like I'm doing fine. And I took the ELL test, the one that determined whether you got to test out and be done with it. And they were like, no, you're going to have to be here another year. I was like, okay, that's weird. So come third grade, I did the same thing. And I was like, okay, I know this whole program by memory. Like, fine let me just do it I did it took the test they're like no you're gonna have to be here another year but I did not leave ELL until fourth grade so that means that up until I was like 11 I was still taking classes on how to learn English and these classes did not change at all so it was the same like learn your alphabet in English up until I was 11 the same program over and over and over again and I remember when I was taking for fourth grade when I had to take the exam again um, the lady who was giving the exam, she was one of the people who ran the program. She said, you know what, Nicole, you don't have to take it. And I'm like, but I don't want to be an ELO like another year. So yeah, I'm going to take it because I need to pass it. She's like, no, 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 you passed it the first time. Like you don't need to, you don't need to take it anymore. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, we just need an, we just needed enough numbers. So like we could get funding for the program. And she oh. let me take a nap in the nurse's office. Oh my goodness. What? Yep. yep. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 110%. My my teammates thought I had super powers because I was black. They thought that I should be scoring the most. I should be rebounding the most. I should be jumping the highest. And the craziest thing was I had no vertical. Oh my gosh, this is the craziest thing. In high school, um, I have no vertical. Well, especially in high school. I had no vertical in high school. I Terrible. And um, there was this track coach. And he was like, hey, hey, you should you should join track. And I, I was like, oh, you know, he sees me play basketball. He can tell, like, I'm pretty athletic. And um maybe he's just trying to recruit more track players or, or track runners or whatever. He was like, yeah, we, we just need you for all the field stuff. Like we, we just need you to like, to like jump over things. Like, I, I feel like you can jump really high. And I'm like, actually I can't. And I didn't end up doing track, but I remember being told that too. Like you, you just look at me and you already automatically have all these different ideas of who I should be and what I should be able to do just based off the color of my skin. We, we haven't even had a conversation yet. And you're just, like Uh, judging me i had a very racist librarian 
So at my school, the way it was set up, elementary school, is you had the main librarian and the assistant librarian. And you had a minimum of two books to check out. And we had like certain like reading levels and stuff like that that went by color based on your like AR reading level. I mean, I was insane with reading because once I caught on to English, I was like, wow, this reading thing is cool. So, <laughs> um, so I was reading everything I could. And I remember I, according to my, so these colors were based on like certain test scores you got on certain like reading tests and all that. So according to mine, I remember I was like a black or a brown, which was like one of the higher ones. And this was in like, I want to say like early third grade or something like that. So I grab a book that's from the brown or black reading level, not because it's from that reading level, but just because it's something I'm interested in. I grab the books or whatever and I go to check out and the librarian is like, (laughs) no, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, oh yeah, there's no way you're reading at that reading level. There's no way. I I was like, well, well, I am like, I have my test score. She's like, you must be cheating. You have to be cheating. And she only ever did this with me and the other ELL kids. So it, it, but just, it was, it was so messed up because not only did she refuse to give me books that were within the reading level of kids my age, like let's say she was like, oh, you know what? You're cheating. I'm going to give you like the reading level that like the average classmate of your age has. She gave me like learners ones, like the ones that you read to like five-year-olds, like picture books. And she kept this up until I left that school. She never changed. She never updated it either. So I was like, again, in fifth grade and she was still like, you know, we got a new picture book today if you'd like to see that. But the assistant librarian, Miss Vosey, an angel, would sneak books to me and she would check them out under her own personal account. So I got to take up to like eight books at a time and I was taking all the freaking books I wanted because they were under her personal account. And the audacity, the audacity. I remember my sister went to that same elementary school and I went back to go to like an open house or something with my sister. And this woman who was still a librarian and then was also a teacher, now I guess she does both, um, she recognized me. She's like, oh, if it isn't my favorite student. Like you literally tried to prevent me from, you literally denied me access to public knowledge. <laughs> like Two books. Two books. The books in question were like the Magic Treehouse books. I was like, can I please read the Magic Treehouse? And she was like, no, go read the Three Little Pigs. You are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, those books are for white kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, good thing you didn't read those anyways. They're, I did not, and they were trash. Oh, I did, and I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being the only black girl on a team, it was, it was different. Like, it was all I knew, so I guess it wasn't weird for me at first. But then it was like the outside influences that were starting yeah. to make me realize how weird it was or like how I'm I'm looked at differently because like we would go and play an all-black team and the girls on my team be like oh my god we're about to get killed and it's like <laughs> well let's I mean we, we have a chance like it's basketball but seeing that too or I'd have parents there's this one time that a, a dad was coaching one of our games and and he was like well, they're a team full of colored girls and we only have two colored girls on our team. So we're going to start our colored girls over there. And I'm like, what year is this? Like colored girls? Yeah, but he oh. said it right to us. Like, I I don't know. I've never, I mean, I have heard blatant racism before, but like as a parent, and he's just like, he doesn't even realize that what he's saying is coming off as him being racist. <laughs> right. I feel like people are afraid to say black. Like <laughs> it makes, it's funny to me. Like they're like, oh, the African-American, oh, you know, the, the darker skin like black it's okay uh, truly 
in these next set of clips, we're going to hear about these women's individual experiences and they're just really enlightening. They're very unique and they have a certain take and perspective on different areas involving race. And I think it's something we should all hear. So one of my friends back in Vegas, um, she had an incident where one of her family members was attacked. And so she spoke out on it on Instagram and we had like a conversation about it. At that point, like seeing what was going on there is the fear that this is happening, that people are actually acting on this misguided, you know what I mean? They're acting on, they're taking out their anger at the situation on people who didn't even cause a situation to begin with. And they're actually harming people and causing harm to them even in some cases resorting to death. Like that's crazy to me. Like it's not it's not even their fault. It's not even anything that they did. And I know that this probably is the same situation for anyone who's been through that kind of thing where they haven't even done anything wrong, but because people feel the need to blame someone rather than blaming the system, they take it out on someone who was totally innocent and who didn't deserve what came to them. So it's a lot of anger. I, I mean, I'm afraid, and I think that fear and anger kind of, kind of actually come from that same feeling. Because I'm afraid, but I'm also very angry that I have to be afraid. I'm, I'm confident with where I am now. I like who I am. I, I, I mean, if I was darker, it wouldn't change my opinion on, on how I feel about myself. I feel like I definitely think, especially dark-skinned black girls, they. I feel like they have it worse almost. Not. I don't want to say worse because we all go through different struggles, but they have it differently than maybe a mixed girl does. Because I feel like, I feel like the whole black kids mixed thing is kind of a trend now. Like you see all these white women trying to have mixed babies. Like they're not, they're not even worried about who their partner is as long as they're black. And I've heard that a lot lately. It's like, oh, I want to. I, I don't care who I date. I just I don't like white boys. And it's coming from a lot of white girls. Like I don't I don't like white boys. I just want black a black boyfriend so I can have mixed babies. I've heard that numerous amount of times, and that kind of is irritating to me because like you're fetishizing something. You you don't actually care about that person you just want them because it's going to make your life look a certain way mm -hmm. and and I feel like you know mixed girls um now are kind of being like fetishized too almost like I, I've seen that as a trend and then there's a lot of things with like dark skin girls who might have a different curl pattern or uh their skin is dark or whatever you know just I feel like they aren't represented the way that they should be or appreciated the way that they should be. And so, I mean, if I was dark skin, I would absolutely love it. I, I think black skin's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, where I'm at right now, I want to be black. I don't want to be anybody else. I don't want to be anybody or anything else. I, I love being black. I think our skin color is absolutely beautiful. Um, melanate. I yeah. just love it. <laughs> 
I don't know. I feel like the best way, because I, I know I, like, I use a lot of words, but I feel like no, it's if, I, if, like, if I had to put it in terms of like uh, a metaphor or something, it's like you have a, a group of kids that already know how to swim, right? Just because you throw another kid in there and you're like, oh, well, look, he's in the pool too. That kid doesn't know how to swim. He just killed someone, <laughs> you know? So you throwing in that kid who wanted to be in the pool isn't the same as you throwing in a kid who knows how to swim in that same pool. Um, you know, so it's... It's it's hard because I feel like you they these these uh, these like companies jobs schools or need to hold themselves accountable for when they do that and it's not like you said it's not oh I want you to cater to my every need because I'm special it's I just want to have the same opportunities as everyone else and if I'm not going to succeed here don't put me in this opportunity yeah. or like oh, oh I don't know I could go all day on how I feel about that I'm like I, I'm like. Especially because, or don't take me out of this opportunity because you feel like someone who's not, oh, they need the chance to learn. Well, why would I give someone the chance to learn at an upper level when they don't even know how to be capable at a lower level either? Like just in life. I'm yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. It's like sink or swim. Like, are you, are you? Yeah. I'm like, why would you put someone in the like the top role? Because they're like, they would be really good in the top role one day. Well, I'm already here at the one day part, like at the, at the today part. They still need a couple more levels of training. Why are you just going to throw them in here? I, I'm i going to be honest. Like Sometimes I do feel like I'm not 100% qualified. What is, what is the word qualified? I do feel like I have a lot of privilege. And so I feel like in that sense, should I run for it? It's something you consider when you're running for positions like that because you want to be in that headspace. You need to be thinking about how you can contribute to that role. And so it kind of does upset me when people don't view it the same way as I do, like that you need to be thinking about whether or not this role is really advancing what we're trying to advance with it. And in the case of diversity, equity, inclusion, like your ideals need to be in the right place and you need to have a direction where you're moving towards openness. And if you're not open yourself, then how can you expect others to open up as well? Because that's what diversity, equity, inclusion is to me. It's It stands for progress and it stands for an effort for all of us to be more open and to be more understanding about each other and our differences and our struggles. Because we can only know how other people are struggling by asking them, by trying to understand them. And so you have to be open in order to receive what they're telling you. So, like, I felt like I wasn't qualified, but also I felt in that headspace that I was willing to be open and to at least make an effort to be someone who people can go to um, and expect that sort of effort from me. I don't know if that made sense, but... It did. If, now, if you're saying I need a director of inclusion, I don't. I don't necessarily think you. Oh, I guess I do still. There's not a. There's not a single role that includes diversity that I don't think should be run by a person of color. Do you feel the same way or no? I really think it's depends on context. Because if you're in a in an office of only white people, then it's like, what are the options you have? You know what I mean? Like, I really think it really depends on the person and what they stand for. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Like, 
people of color can be racist, right? They can be racist towards each other, especially. And so if you don't have the right ideals as a POC, I still would rather have someone who has the right ideals and who is willing to stand for what is right, even if they aren't that POC. And I think it's it's just really having to know that person. So that's why there's like a really fine line. But in general, I do agree with that. Um, I just acknowledge that there could be exceptions because there could be, honestly. In these last sets of clips, we're going to hear our guests talk about understanding their circumstances. And it's almost a universal message and they all have something to say that's very different and unique. And I think this is going to be a great way to close out part one of this two-part series. So I hope you really take something from what they have to say because they said it with intention. And that's the thing, too, is like no matter how you feel you're like you could say you're mixed you could have 99% white in you if you look black if that 1% looks black to the rest of society you're black and you have a certain expectation and certain things that you're supposed to do and like I said act look like sound like talk like like all of it and and I don't really like that I don't like that I have to feel like I have to be in this box and I have to fit to society standards just because I look this way I really think that especially going into um, into high school, I feel like I really w- was put in that ba- box because I did a lot of the things that would be stereotyped as that. Like I played and I played in the orchestra, you know, I tried my best to get good grades and I hung out with a lot of Asian kids. And so you just, you kind of put into that box. So, I mean, yeah, I felt like that was kind of inevitable. And it's because people, when people understand how you feel, you gravitate towards them. You know what I mean? And it's hard to get out of that box sometimes. <sighs> I don't know. I think this might be a little messier, but if we're going back to the pool metaphor, if you have that kid in there that's still drowning, still screaming help, and you're like, oh, but all kids, all kids should be, should get the same amount of attention. It's like, yes. But if you had to choose a lifeguard to go save one of them, it would be the kid screaming help. Not the one who's like, you know, sipping a margarita by the poolside or something, you know. Um, And it's like, and you can clearly see and hear the kids struggling, right? So it's not like, oh, well, I don't see him. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm going to pretend I don't hear him. You know, so it's just, it's like, I don't know. It's it's the elephant in the room that, I don't know, it's it's weird. It's weird. Um, I just feel like people overcomplicate it too much. Like, it's literally just basic human respect. Like, that's it. It's not... I'm better than you or worse than you because of a certain color. It's I'm just a person just like you. That concludes part one of two of this series, Looking Inside the Box. In part two, we'll rejoin our host and our creator, as well as hear more from our three guests and discuss race in the 21st century. The views and opinions expressed in the preceding podcast were those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kentucky Wesleyan College. Any content discussed are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.